This podcast contains coarse language, adult themes, and spoilers. My name's Peach, and for the past couple of years, I've been helping my friend Shag overcome his childhood aversions to everyday foods in the podcast Fussy Eater. Now it's his turn to help me conquer my phobia of scary movies over one spooky night in the FBI studios, one Wikipedia synopsis at a time. This is Spooko. Okay, so usually Spooko starts with a long winding anecdote from Peach and we go in all sorts of directions. And I, I, I still want that to happen. But Peach, before mm. we start, the, I mean, well, we've started the episode, but before yes. we get into, you know, the nitty gritty of the episode, mm. I want you to, I, I want to fill you in on the structure of this particular episode. So today's okay. film, I haven't got to it yet, but today's <laughs> film is a high concept film. And this episode is going to be a high concept episode because I have to like, yes. like so, so a little bit of background information. Peach and I record this during our work lunch break. So it's, yes. it's it, being, being an adult is hilarious, but w- I have a pretty important client meeting pretty soon after this recording. So I have a hard mm. stop in exactly half an hour. So whatever happens, whatever happens, I've set a yep. timer already. And whatever happens at 1.30, yep. this podcast just shuts off. So we are basically racing against the clock. But in the interest of the fact that we're racing against the clock, Peach, I believe you have an anecdote you want to talk about having a haircut. Yeah. Well, it's, it's just a mildly diverting anecdote that I thought um, leads to a different anecdote, which comes from a friend of ours. Do you remember, like, Sonny? Sonny, Sonny and Jesse? Sonny's like, oh, Peach, um, I really enjoy Spooko, except for the first half where you guys just talk shit all the time. Get to the horror movie. <laughs> and so um, maybe if we're going high concept, I can tell that anecdote and also learn the lesson from it and we can get into it. Okay, cool. Tell the anecdote. Go. That was the anecdote. Oh, no, that was the anecdote. <laughs> <laughs> Sunny said she doesn't like the first half of Spooko, but she likes the second half. But bitch, like technically, like, and again, you study the humanities. I never did. Is an anecdote mm. just relating a comment someone made? Is that really an anecdote? It's telling it's telling a story. There was a journey there. Imagine how I felt. Peach, really enjoying Spooko. I was like, oh, here it comes. Except for the first half, which is actually my favorite half. So it's tough time. I like, again, and I know we're racing against the clock. Explain mm. to me the beginning, middle, and end of that story. Well, I remember I set it up. There was Sunny. Like, I was like, yeah, I mean, you know, Sunny, Sunny and Jesse. <laughs> so that's the beginning, just establishing yeah. that yeah, I know exactly. someone. Yep, cool. That's the first act. Yep. The second act is. Um, I guess it's also setting the scene of Sunny saying that she's enjoying uh, listening to Spooko, and then the denouement, the, like the real payoff of like, oh, what's like, what's she going to say about it? Is finding out that she's got two favourite halves. She's got to, there are two halves, and one of them she prefers to the other. Because I generally get the opposite feedback. Is I guess what what we learn in the prequel. So in the prequel to this anecdote. Um, people are like, I love it when you guys talk silly stuff in the first half. And so the reason this anecdote stood out as against the prequel is because I was like, oh, well, uh, yeah, 
Tough times. Well, Pete, you work in a, you know, uh, like a office corporate-ish environment, ditto me. Huge, sellouts all day. (laughs) So you're probably used to (laughs) doing diversity training. And one of the parts of diversity training is confirmation bias. I'm not used to that. Oh, okay. At all. We are rich white men only. This is the law. This is the non, this is the non, like the non-community access. This is the, this is commercial law, rich white men only. Well, okay. So in. Except on, sorry, except in law firm marketing stuff where you um, try to wheel out as many skin colors as you can um, in a very cynical bid to try to not look like just a rich old white man profession. All right. Well, in most businesses in 2020, there's some sort of, Mm. there's an emphasis on, you know, training the staff to be a little bit more mindful of things like diversity. And one of the things that comes up is confirmation bias. And I wonder if this story Mm. is actually an illustration of your blind spot, your confirmation bias, where you're effectively only hearing the people being like, how good's the first half? And you're not listening to the chorus of people being like, get to the fuck... Like, it's called Spooko. It's not called Chinwag Time with Pete and Jack. It's literally... The thing is in the name. We need Mm. to get there. So anyway, so so look, but okay. All right, all right, all right. All that said, let's get to the film we're going to talk about today. Now... Speaking of Friends of the Pod, in fact, there's been a number of people suggesting this film for me for a while, and I've been initially resistant purely because... (laughs) Oh, no, no, purely because the way I watch at the moment, especially, you know, know, life being busy, having Golden Child, is it's not always Mm. easy to just focus on a film, and the hardest films Mm. to focus on are films not in a language I understand, because then you really actually, you can't just put them on in the background and and, and listen to them. You have to actually read the screen. But also I find people suggesting stuff, like this is not a helpful thing to say on the movie podcast we do together. I just don't like, look, we've talked about friendship homework before. It just makes me like the thing less. Paige, we literally ask people to suggest films for us to do. What are you? They suggest them to you, right? It's like, <laughs> that's fine. So for the past five years, it's been like, Paige, you would love this musical, Hamilton. It's just the sort of thing you'd love. And so I've been like, ugh, boo. So that came out like five, like five, five years ago. And as you can imagine, things have ratcheted up with like, Paige, have you got Disney Plus? Have you watched? Yeah, do you know they battle rap? Oh, you'd love it. And so it's only like five years in that I finally actually watched, actually watched Hamilton. And look, partly like I love rap music, like in a genuine way. And so partly it's making a mockery of the genre that I've committed so much of my life to enjoying. But then second, it's a Broadway musical. And as a Broadway musical, it's good fun. Can I ask... I've never mm. seen it, but in my mind, Hamilton sounds mm. like this. So can you can you rate how good this impression of my impression of Hamilton yeah, is, yeah, having yeah. never seen it? Yep. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Wait, hang on. Okay, sorry. <laughs> this is this is pretty much it. This is how it goes. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Sorry. <laughs> Hamilton's got a big client meeting coming up. <laughs> <laughs> G'day, audience. (laughs) I'm a a historical figure. I like to rap all damn day. I did some stuff in the 1700s to help America become a country. There's lots of issues that are relevant to now, but some of them are based in historical facts. But we take some liberties with the source 
cut it off and put it in some sick, sick wraps. Yo, it's basically that. It's like, my name's Hamilton and I'm here to say, I fight slavery all night and day. Hey. And it turns out, no, he didn't do that. And it's like, well, okay. <laughs> but actually, it's a really great musical. <laughs> Is the funny payoff (laughs) the the like everyone in the house is now obsessed with it, and so we're listening to it all day, and it's sort of like Stockholm syndrome with the like the thing I've been imprisoned with that I'm now like yes, or maybe the end of um, 1984 where it's like yes, I'm now the guy drinking in the pub at the end of 1984, being like I love Big Brother. And so I love Lin Manuel Miranda, even though Immortal Technique used to beat him up at high school. Shay, did you know that Goss? I love that so much. Immortal Technique is a terrible person, but has written some great songs. He's maybe the worst person, but it's such a good story. <laughs> oh, <fuck. laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. So I, I just want to. I just want to reaffirm. I do appreciate mm. and listen to all your suggestions. Please keep suggesting films for us today. <laughs> Don't send them to me, though. I'm not interested. And yeah, so so like I said, we had a number of people suggest this, reach out and suggest this film. Mm. It was trending on Netflix for a while last year. So I'd seen it and I thought, oh, I kind of want to eventually watch it. But all these suggestions Mm. put me over the edge and I've decided it's a good one for us to do today, uh, especially for a high concept episode like this. I think we've got about 20 minutes left because this film is based, uh, has a very, you know, has a very strict concept, which you'll, which you'll understand in just a second. So today we're doing a Spanish film that's currently on Netflix, uh, from 2019, uh, in Spanish, it's called the hole, but in English and the way you've probably seen it on your home screen, it's called the platform. There are three kinds of people, the ones above, the ones below, and the ones who fall. So this is, uh... The pit. Bingo. Mr. Jumagasi, do you know how this all works? It's obvious. We must eat. What will it be? Whatever the ones above don't want. You have a big heart, but honestly, I don't think you'll survive for long. Let's do some friendship homework. The platform. All right. Okay. So, uh, like I said before, it is a high concept film uh, it, by which pretty much the entire film is set in essentially concrete boxes with mm. uh, a number on each to denote the floor. Um, that is as both interesting and boring as it sounds. Uh, I think I've realized this is my hot take. Usually the hot takes come from you. Uh, every high concept thing ever made is pretty boring and the tedium is not worth the smug feeling of cleverness you get from watching and understanding the concept. Peach. Oh, I endorse that view so much. Do you remember um, Russian Ghosts or whatever that, that movie that came out in like 2003 was that was like, it's all one shot and you follow a Russian ghost walking through a gallery and like the ghost of Russian history come to life. And I was like, yes, this is just the it, sort of it's thing. Called, it's called Russian Ark. It's called Russian Ark. I was forced to watch it in art school. I think that film, I saw it in the cinema because my all my yeah, lecturers were like, you will, you are going to love this. Basically, it goes through one, I think one of Moscow's most, or one, you know, I assume it's in Moscow. It might be in St. Petersburg. Mm. One of Russia's most famous art museums. 
It's all one mm. shot. And I remember mm. my lecturers just talking about it so much. And me as like a maybe late teen, early 20s, I'm trying to think about, you know, the time I was in art school, thinking, okay, well, I'm going to enjoy this. To this day, the record for the amount of times I fell asleep, woke up, fell asleep again in a film. I reckon maybe nine times over the course of the like three hour duration of that film. So uh, Alice, my wife, grew up loving opera and I was like, Peach, you're a good guy. And I like listened to Tyr and Dot like 30 or 40 times over a year and bought her tickets to Tyr and Dot. And I read about Tyr and Dot and I was like, yes, I'm a good guy. I'm going to go in. I've got the background. I know what Tyr and Dot's all about. This is going to be sick. We went to the opera house to go see Tyr and Dot. We had a lovely dinner beforehand and I fell asleep both, both in the first act and then, we went, and then we went home before the end because I was like, if you're just going to be asleep, this is pointless. And I thought I'd done all the homework and I was going to win all the good guy points for going to the opera and really getting into it. And she was like, yeah, no, nah, that's all right. See, we can go. See, Peach, I don't mean to give you, you know, narrative homework, but that's a good story. Mm. That's a good anecdote. It had all, it had everything. <laughs> it had it all. It had a twist. It even had a twist at the end. It was amazing. <laughs> um, is this like that uh, 90s, I think, French film Cube that I remember we saw and they were like, the best movie ever because there's only one set and we saved heaps of money. But even though you felt <laughs> like you were in lots of different cubes, it was all the same cube. <laughs> I'm watching this trailer. I was like, cool, the set is so small and cheap. This is saving heaps of money. It's, it is. It's basically Cube without the satisfying ending or story. So this film also has, uh, like it was directed by a guy, by a, by a Spanish director who used to direct commercials, which I'm not saying is always a bad thing, but I, I think means that like every ad, every ad basically has to have a message that's by this. It has to have some sort of symbolism. It has to have a message. So Generally, when mm. ad directors become directors, everything has to have a point and a purpose rather than being like, no, like film is a craft where you can tell a story. So this film yes. this film has a big message to say. The symbolism, look, I'm not going to say it's heavy-handed, but I want you to tell me if you can pick what this film's trying to say. Okay, Pitch? <laughs> now, I sort of think this might actually be an anarcho-syndicalist film. <laughs> That if only the people at the top would be less greedy, then there'd be some left for everyone down below. <laughs> and it's like it's that is like, literally the point of this film. But anyway, let's keep going. Yeah, it's like the that's the most transparent metaphor I think I've ever seen. And it's like, can you believe we've thought of this? And it's like, <laughs> it's just like well, congrats. Um, Look, the sunny on my shoulder is telling me we've got 12 minutes to get through this fascinating film before your hard departure. Let's do it. All right. So, okay. So, okay. Now, if you remember correctly, in the year sort of 2000, I think maybe the year 2001, I lived in Spain for six months. Mm. Um, Yeah. With that in mind, I've never heard of either of these names. I'm not saying they're not Spanish names, but I never heard either of these. So, Goreng is the main character, and he wakes Mm. up in a concrete cell marked with the number 48. His cellmate, Trimagassi, explains that they are Mm. in a vertical self-management centre or a VMC, a tower-style facility in which food is delivered via a platform that travels from the top down, stopping for a fixed period on each floor. Now, like, for some reason... 
there's this uh, oh actually no no mm. not for some reason this makes sense like the re you you can only eat your fill and then it has to go down now you can't save anything because if you take a anything off the table and don't eat it the room immediately heats up or immediately freezes till you die and part of me even thinks like what i hate about this film is like they didn't even decide on one like it would have been a lot scarier <sighs> if it's like the the room just heats up or the room freezes and part of me kind of thinks can you like it would it be easy to have a room that can both freeze and heat surely you you you'd make it so it does one of them really well anyway but that's I can't I can't agree more like I cannot agree like and and this is cube like we're watching cube <laughs> and cube is not actually very good <laughs> Um, we are watching Cube if it was written by us in year 10 discovering oh, yeah. like, social justice. 16 year old ass being like, the people at the top. <laughs> <laughs> so basically what happens is people are randomly reassigned to a new level each month. And what we discover is as it slowly makes its way down, more and more food mm. gets eaten. So if you're at the top, you get to gorge yourself. Like if you're at the bottom, you essentially get nothing. Now, again, that symbolism might be hard to decode, but there's a subtle message in there. <laughs> like, is it a prison? Are they imprisoned? Are they criminals? Well, the, the, so, so it'll get explained, right? So okay. each resident is allowed to choose one thing to bring with them. Again, this isn't this is such a dumb plot device. <laughs> so Goring chose a copy of Don Quixote. Um, uh, God, I sound like a wanker when I said that. Um, which is like basically the only book Spain has, but it's I still liked it. But it is, it's their, like, it's, <laughs> it's their high watermark for fiction. Um, it's our book, you guys. We did it. And Trima Gassi brought a self-sharpening knife. And there's quite a nice story where he explains why he brought this knife. And he talks about how, and again, it's a subtle message on consumerism. And he talks about how he saw this really great ad on TV about a knife sharpener sharpening system or something and he's like sick so i'm gonna buy this knife that can be sharpened really easily but then the next month they brought out a knife that didn't need to be sharpened and he realized capitalism's a joke like... oh my god <laughs> this actually was written by a grumpy 16 year old baby like this is the dumbest thing it's written by a pop punk band that will grow up to be 40 and oh, me too like in a second it's written by Millen Colin. Oh, no, it's written by Pennywise. Yeah. It's written by Actually, Pennywise. Actually, I think Pellen Pennywise and Millen Colin both <laughs> haven't been Me Too. So they're our last standing, last stand from the Vans Warped Tour era. Um, okay, so... Oh, gosh. <laughs> got, got, got a mouthful by the wayside. <laughs> so... Trimmer Gassy reveals that now now obviously Goreng's just woken up for the first time and they're on like a rent mm. they're on 48, which means they get some food. Trimmer Gassy mm. reveals that he was last in level 132, and so he and his former cellmate had to cannibalize a resident who fell down the shaft and landed on their level. Uh, and then at, at one point, one day, we see a bloodied woman named Maharu ride down the platform and she's super scared. Like, she's sort of like a bit like catatonic, but she's like, don't mm. touch me and like, I'll fuck you up if you touch me. And Trimagassi explains that she descends the lift every month in search of her child. Okay. So as they talk, it is revealed that Goreng volunteered to spend six months in the facility in exchange for a diploma, which again, I'm like, I guess is symbolism, but I don't really know 
why i guess yeah, education okay. costs money and it shouldn't maybe um yeah and trimagassi's in there because he's serving a year-long sentence for manslaughter so it's kind of a prison but you can also choose to go in there which again yeah. is and, and, and it's run by the the administration and it's supposed to be this scary thing that they talk about but it's also like well like who cares? Because there's no, the administration clearly has no set rules for anything. Um, anyway. But also, like, they're already in the scariest part of it. Like, they're in the, like, the cannibal. Like, the cannibal. It's like, oh, don't, like, don't act out here in the cannibal zone or the administration will come. It's like, well, what's the administration going to do? So anyway, over the first month, they become friends and, you know, Goreng starts to read Trimagasi um, Don Quixote as, you know, as a way to pass the time. But when they wake up in the next uh, month, Goreng wakes up tied to his bed. They've been reassigned to level 171 where the platform arrives empty. So Trimagasi explains that he plans to leave him like a little snack. He's like, you can't eat escargot straight away. You have to like let it purge or something or later cure so he's like i'm gonna tie you up and after about eight days i'm gonna slowly cut little bits off you and we're gonna eat them together and you'll be alive by the end of the month and then hopefully we'll be reassigned to a better floor which obviously goreng is like horrified by but then time passes in a really creepy sort of montage and another thing i I should mention that this is quite a gory film there's a lot of cannibalism in it and at first i was just really grossed out by watching people eat and cut human flesh but by the end of it you become a bit like numb to it it becomes pretty they just do it over and over again anyway oh my god that's super upsetting of like eating yourself in order to sustain yourself is pretty wild i don't even know like like doctors hit us up i don't know if that's a possible thing but anyway so on the eighth day trimagasi cuts into goreng's leg uh and it's a super gross scene like it's so awful but at that moment miharu comes down and she grabs the knife off him and stabs him frees goreng goreng gets up and then kills trimagasi and then miharu's like gives him the knife and goes back down the platform she initially cuts a little bit of um trimagasi's flesh to eat and then feeds some to goreng to like get his like, I, I guess he's been tied to a bed for like eight or nine days. So gives him some strength. There's so much blood. Like the reason you hang meat, right? Mm. So you haven't had a steak that's been hung for less than at least two weeks for the shittest. But at most you want it hung for like a month or more. So all the blood gets pumped out. Like you'd just be eating blood. Like your mouth would be full of blood. There's a, Oh my God. Yeah. And they make, they, there's a lot of blood eating. Anyway. So look. In the third month, because obviously Goreng doesn't have a, a cellmate anymore, he awakes to have uh, another cellmate, a woman, Imogiri, and her dog. Goreng recognises her as the administration official who interviewed him before sending him to the cells. And we do cut back to the interview process, and it's really dumb, because it's like, doesn't really give much away. Anyway, so she says uh. that she was unaware of the horrible conditions and volunteered to try to fix things when she was diagnosed with terminal cancer. So I'm kind of like, number one, she wasn't aware bad things were happening here, but also like what else would have been what? happening here? Yeah, so like I, like, I wasn't aware about the bad things, but I'll get in there and... <laughs> 
So she mm. tries to start rationing the food. Um, and and they wake up. So they're on level 33 at the moment. So they actually get a lot of food. So she tries to ration the food with the people above and below. But what they've discovered from Trimagassi last time is he's like, anyone who's above you treats you like shit. And every anyone who's below you doesn't want to talk to you. And you should treat like shit. Um, and that's just the way everybody acts on every level. So she tries over the course of the month to get people to ration, but uh, yeah. everybody ignores her. Goring mentions that uh, Miharu is searching for a child, but Imaguri is like, no, there are no children under 16 allowed. Um, and Mihira, Miharu actually entered alone. So Goring, uh, so yeah, anyway, so there's just a bit of plot, but it's also annoying because it's like, yeah. what does any of this mean? Anyway, yes, yes. anyway, so Goring awakens the following month on level 202, uh, which is insane because oh. we didn't know that it go- went down that far, and finds that Imaguri has hanged herself. Goring oh, eats man. her flesh to survive, experiencing hallucinations of her and Trimagasi uh, instructing him to do so. And also, like, all the hallucinations are like, once you eat someone, they're now part of you, which I actually kind of liked as a construct yeah. of why we're hallucinating. The amount of raw meat getting eaten in this film is insane. Surely people are getting sick as well. It's pretty gross. Um, so at the Whoa. start of the fifth month, Goring is assigned to level six. Uh, so he's getting like delicious food and it comes down and it's just this ridiculous, like extravagant feast every time. So his new cellmate, Baharat, attempts unsuccessfully to climb to the upper levels because he's like, we're at level six. I'm going to get up. I've got a rope. The people above sort of pretend that they're going to let him up. But once he gets close enough to climb, they like poo Ugh. on his face. Like, it's so gross. There's oh, also a lot okay. of penises in this film. You see a lot of people's penises. Oh, okay. um, cool. <laughs> so, estimating that there are 250 levels, because Goring's like, I tried to count how long it took for the thing to go down and then come back up. Goreng yeah, okay. convinces Bahara to ride the platform down with him, rationing the food so everybody gets a share. As they descend, they hand out portions to the prisoners, attacking those who refuse to cooperate and, like, properly, like, kicking the shit out of them. It's pretty gross. Um, on the way, Bloody they hell. encounter Miharu fighting two other inmates and try to save her, but she is killed and they are severely injured. Goring and Baharat continue to descend, and at this point, they're like, you know what, let's descend all the way and leave one thing to go back to the top and it'll be a message that you can't break our spirit. And they're like, there's this panna cotta. What? Yeah, yeah. What is it? There's like a comedian. Like, what the fuck are you talking about? But it becomes this thing and it's a hilarious... How does this work in the allegory of like, send those rich people back some of their money. So, That'll teach yeah, so it. Was, so then it becomes this line that everyone says where it's like, the panna cotta is the message. And they keep being like, the panna cotta is the... And it becomes this line that's supposed to be this rally cry. It sucks. Anyway, so, 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 so. So they reach so they finally reach level 333 where there's basically nothing and that's where the platform stops they're like d- like they're basically dead because they've been stabbed and like they can barely move but at platform 33 they notice a child under the bed which they decide is Miharu's daughter but it's also like what how did you survive like there's no food yeah. now. like how does this even work this is never explained this is really frustrating but anyway <sighs> He gets over the pl- he gets off the platform, followed hesitantly by Baharat, only to have the platform continue downward, leaving them behind. 
Despite Baharat's reluctance, they feed the girl the untouched panna cotta they had saved as the message for the administrators of the top. I've got to be really quick now. Goring passes out and dreams of Baharat telling him that the girl is the message. The next day, Goring finds Baharat dead of injuries and takes the child with him when the platform arrives. They descend to the bottom of the pit where he once again hallucinates Trimagasi, who tells him the... And he's like, he's like no, 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 the, the message is the girl. We've made it to the bottom. Now the, the platform's going to go all the way up to the top. Trimagasi was dead. How does Trimagasi's ghost, like his hallucination yeah. of Trimagasi's no, ghost... No, 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 but there's like a hallucination in his mind. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, so he's going... <laughs> anyway, so the ghost is like, the ghost is like, this is what we'll do. We'll send the girl back up, which will be the message for the people up top making the food. And he's like, well, I'll go too. And then Trimagus is like, no, no, no. The message requires no bearer. So he just gets off the platform. And then the final shot is of the platform rushing to the top with the girl on it. And then that's the end of the platform. Uh. That's deeply unsatisfying. <laughs> Don't tell your clients that <laughs> that if they need a lawyer, call your big homie Peach and go make them lots of money, Gooey. I guess my point is, and it's that... This was recorded at FBI Studios. Please like, subscribe and follow wherever you can and as much as you can. And Resh's, what's up? Thank <laughs> you.